All right, brethren, Luke chapter 2 this morning. I appreciate the wonderful study of the first advent of Christ that Brother Andy's been having of his, the beginning of his humanity in his conception and his birth. Um, I'll have to listen to the finished product uh, afterward, uh, what he did this morning. Let's pray. Go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank you so much that you sent your Son into the world to rescue and save fallen sinners like me. Father, I'm so thankful, oh God, that you made the way, you made it happen, Father. If, if you'd have left it to us, Father, we'd have ruined it. But Father, you, Lord, for your great love that you had for us, you sent your son into the world in the fullness of time, made of a woman. Father, he came in the flesh. He was both the son of man and the son of God. Oh God, I pray that we would worship him today. And Father, I pray that he would be our, our, the worship of our hearts every single day. Father, please help us. Oh God, I pray you would gather our attention Forgive us for our sins. Lord, I pray that you would be right in the center of our worship this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. An initial thought before we read the text. You know, <clears throat> and I might have done this too. You know, frequently you'll hear people make excuses for how they behave today based on the difficulties of their past or the difficulties of their childhood. They'll say, well, you know, I'm like, I'm like I am because of how difficult my life was. My parents had a really hard life. Well, I want you to think of the Lord Jesus for a few moments. Think of his parents. Uh, well, of course, his earthly father, Joseph. But think of his mother. Jesus was not born in a nice maternity ward. I remember when we went to the maternity ward for our first baby, beautiful hardwood floors, really nice room. They transformed it and she delivered right there. I mean, it, it, was, it was a beautiful place. Jesus was born in the worst of conditions. He was born in a barn. His parents were very poor. We know that. The house and lineage of David, the light of that house had become very dim. He was then wrapped and swaddled in a cloth and could have very well been a horse blanket. I don't know. And then they laid, laid him in a feeding trough. Now I'll just ask you ladies that have given birth, how would you feel about delivering your baby on a bale of hay in a dirty barn on the dirt and then laying your child in a fodder, which is what it was. It was a trough that cattle and horses eat out of. Laid him right there in a manger. I mean, you think about that. Can you imagine birthing your child in a barn? And this was no normal baby. This goes against how the kings of the world have treated their children and how they've come into the world in glory and great pomp. But here was God's own son, the king of glory. Next time you think you're too good to suffer less than you think you deserve, consider Joseph and Mary. Consider how the Lord Jesus came into the world. If you think you had a rough childhood, 
Think of his parents, Jesus' parents, after he was born. He was born under the reign of a, of a puppet king, Herod, who wanted him dead. Think of his parents fleeing to this place and to that place. They're on the run because this man is trying to kill her son. Think about that. They had to flee from Bethlehem to Egypt because of Herod. And then think of Mary in her mind hearing the news that because of her son, that king killed every two-year-old boy and under in Bethlehem and in all the coast in that surrounding area so he could get at him. Make no mistake about it, this was the work of Satan, his influence. Ever since the beginning of time, he has been trying to kill that righteous seed. You can imagine Mary, Joseph's care for this special son. I can't imagine. It's like God saying, this is my son. You two take care of him. <laughs> You're going to birth him first of all. And now you take care of him. You can imagine of his life from that point is the text for today. It's when he was 12 years old. And he was going up to the Passover feast with Mary and Joseph, Mary his mother and Joseph his supposed father, Luke 2.39, that's what we'll pick up. And this is after the, the meeting of Simeon and Anna, and now this is quite a while later. Verse 39, And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit. By the way, that same thing is said of John the Baptist in Luke 1.80. Same exact thing to that point. And it says, he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. It was one of the three feasts that they were to keep. And they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned... The child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, that is, without him, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem to seek him. Now you can imagine. <laughs> Where's our son? And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. <clears throat> but his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, you've got to keep in mind what's going through Mary's heart all the while. Now, 12 years had elapsed. He's 12 years old now. 
But after that experience and after running from Herod, after knowing that Archelaus, Herod's son, was reigning, he was in Galilee. They, they didn't go back to Bethlehem, but they went to Nazareth. And of course, that's fulfilled. That's a fulfillment of the scriptures that he shall be a Nazarene. But you can imagine when anybody would walk up to this child, Mary and Joseph were probably, I mean, they were on high alert. I mean, you can imagine that, that this son was sought to be killed. And listen, Satan was after this one. Keep in mind that the wicked one consistently tried to kill the righteous seed and stop God's promised man from being born. This goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15. It started with Abel, with Cain killing Abel. Of course, Satan's not omniscient. He didn't know, but he knew a man would come. He consistently failed throughout time. Satan's mission was to stop this holy child from being born. And now that he was born, Satan's mission was to stop him from coming to age, to stop his ministry from ever starting, to stop him from saving and rescuing and reclaiming fallen sinners. And listen, beloved, you must know that that's Satan's primary mission for you. Listen, you're part of that righteous seed. You're called by the name of Christ. His mission is for you to stop. He wants to stop the work of Christ in you. He wants you to stop worshiping God now. He wants you to go back to the world. Those that are in the world, the scripture says, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Bewitched, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, which is the image of God, should shine unto them. Satan's mission is to get you to believe the world's lies. His mission is to stop you from worshiping God. His mission is to stop you from believing Christ today. His mission is for you to come back to his domain. Again, he hasn't, he hasn't rested since he influenced Cain to kill Abel. He hasn't rested since he moved Pharaoh to kill all of the two-year-old or to kill all of the male children. If you remember that when the, the Jews were overtaking Egypt. And he says, come on, man, these, these Jews are going to multiply and they're going to take over Egypt. I want you to kill all the male children. We see that. This is, Satan was behind all of this, beloved. We see in the, in the kingdom of Persia, King Ahasuerus, king over 127 provinces. We talked about this in the child Sunday school class today. And the overarching question over the entire book of Esther is, why was Vashti deposed and why did Esther come to the throne? For one reason and for one reason only, so that the Christ would come. Of course, wicked Haman was overturned and of course Satan's influence again. What was wicked Haman's decree to Ahasuerus to sign, to seal with his ring? That every Jew would be killed. But as Haman was building the gallows to kill Mordecai, as Haman was plotting against the Jews, God was raising Hadassah or Esther, a Jewess, to be the queen over the Persian Empire for one reason, for one reason only, so that the Christ would come. And then when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Herod did Satan's work for him trying to kill the Christ child. 
Herod was in a full rage because the wise men did not come back and let him know where Christ was. And so in his rage, he had all of the two-year-old children killed, of course, in Bethlehem and all the coast. I'll say it again, Christian. Satan, in his rage, wants to kill Christ in you. But God has promised to equip you, beloved. He, he has promised to equip you in your faith so that you are able to resist the wicked one by the strength of God in you. And beloved, we must not be ignorant of his devices. And now to our text. In our text, and if there was a title for this message, I would say, Learning Christ from a 12-year-old. Learning Christ from a 12-year-old. I want you to think about this 12-year-old boy. Here he goes up with Joseph and Mary to Jerusalem to keep the Passover in obedience to the law. We know, just turn over to Exodus. Let me show you this. In Exodus chapter, we know in Exodus chapter 12 it was instituted. And now in Exodus 23, if you look there, 23, 14. In fact, go back to 12. 12 and verse 8. I'm sorry, 12 and verse 40. Exodus 12 and verse 40. It says, Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day, it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night to be much observed unto the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord to be observed of all the children of Israel in their generations. And then over to 13, just look at 13, 13 and verse 8. Here Moses writes, And thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. And it shall be a sign unto thee, Upon thine hand and for a memorial between thine eyes that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth. For with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. Thou shalt therefore keep this ordinance in his season from year to year. And this, of course, is the feast of Passover or unleavened bread. Now turn over to 23, Luke 23 and verse 14. And this gives us the three feasts. The first feast was un unleavened bread. Uh, oh, that's the feast of the Passover. And seven weeks later, there was the feast of harvests, harvest. And after that, the feast of ingathering. You could see there in verse 15 or verse 14. Three times shalt thou keep a feast unto me in the year. Thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread. Thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded thee. In the time appointed of the month Abib. For in it thou camest out from Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty. And the feast of harvest, uh, the first fruits of thy labors, which thou hast sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when thou hast gathered in thy labors out of the field. And verse 17 three times in a year 
all thy males shall appear before the Lord God. So it was a requirement, not so much for the females, but for the males. First thing I want you to see here is that Jesus willingly went up to Jerusalem with his parents. He is an example to both parents and children, even as a 12-year-old boy. When it was time to go up to the house of the Lord to ascend the holy hill of Jerusalem, he went up as well. I think of Randy's preaching through the Psalms of Ascent. I believe Jesus was on that trail going up to the holy hill of Jerusalem, and they were singing the songs of Ascent as Randy had preached. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 40, uh, the scripture teaches us that the child grew. And I think this talks about him both in body and spirit. He grew in both his human body and his spirit. He waxed strong in spirit and he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Now, after they finished, it says in verse 43, the scriptures teach us when they had fulfilled the appointed days after they kept the feast of the Passover, they started back to Nazareth. So Joseph and Mary, uh, they turned around and they were heading home. Now listen, back in this time, in this culture, in all probability, the, the families traveled by villages in caravans, in groups of several families. There were fathers, there were mothers there, and there were children. And as we read in Exodus, again, it was only required of the males, but the females were not forbidden, I don't believe, to go to this feast. But now here they were, they're going back. Now you can imagine what happened. I mean, you put yourself in that situation. You know, I've heard of parents thinking, well, I was hoping that you were watching the baby, or I was hoping that you were watching young Jesus. Well, here they are going back. And the scripture tells us the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew it, they knew it not. I mean, you put yourself in that place for your own child. Listen, Joseph and Mary had to be terror-stricken. So here they turn themselves around. They realize it's probably the evening time. The Bible says they want a day's journey. And just so you'll know, it was about 70 miles from Nazareth to Jerusalem. So Joseph and Mary turn themselves around. They begin to head back to Nazareth, but... Young Jesus was still there. He had still, I said they turned, they turned themselves going back. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Basically, they, they turned around and they left. But here's the young Jesus still in the temple. And beloved, he still had business to tend to, specifically in his father's house. And I believe, listen, in these days, Jesus was reading the prophets. He was reading the book of Isaiah. He was reading the book of Micah. He was reading and learning about himself. I believe that the Lord Jesus learned as a young child. You would think that as a 12-year-old boy, most 12-year-old boys, if they stayed behind, they were getting into mischief. But not this 12-year-old. So here he was in Jerusalem, and it's just a wonder to consider this young boy. Here he was in Jerusalem. He was in the temple. Passover was finished, and the one who was sent by God to be Israel, Israel's Messiah was sitting among the doctors and experts of Jewish law and of the Torah, 
Here's the one that they were praying for sitting before them as a 12-year-old. Sitting before them. And the Psalms even tell us, look at Psalm 14. We'll just look at Psalm 14. Psalm 53 tells us the same thing, but and Psalm 80 does as well. But Psalm 14, the last verse in the Psalm, if you look at it there, I love this because you'll see verse 7 says, Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. You know what that word salvation is translated in the Hebrew? Yeshua. That means, oh, that the Messiah of Israel were come out of Zion. They knew he would rise from among their own people. And it says, when the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. He was the answer to their prayer, sitting before them as a 12-year-old boy. And we know both hearing and asking them questions. Some of the old commentators say there's no way that they would let a 12-year-old boy come in with these rabbis, these masters of the law, but somehow he was allowed to sit among them. Look at Matthew 13, 17. If I could use this passage just concerning those men For verily I say unto you, 1317, For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see. And of course he's talking to his apostles here, but I apply this to these men. They desire to see the things that you've seen and to hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. So there was the Lord. Of course in the context he's talking about them, his apostles understanding the things that he said. These Jewish Experts, these rabbis are sitting there and listening to this young man ask them questions. And the scripture says they were amazed at his wisdom and his understanding. Now by this time, Joseph and Mary are a whole day's journey from Jerusalem. It was probably the evening and now they couldn't find their 12-year-old son. Now you have to think, and of course it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a three or four day journey, 70 miles. They probably went about 12 miles a day. Luke, 12, Luke 2.43 says Jesus tarried behind. Joseph and his mother didn't know it, but they supposed him to have been in the company of the people. But they went a whole day's journey before they realized it. Of course, they were panic-stricken. Panic ensued in the hearts of Mary and Joseph, of any mother or father. They couldn't find this 12-year-old son, but this was not just any 12-year-old. Of course, it was Mary's own son. But beloved, more than that, this was God's own son. How could they have forgotten God's son? How could they have forgotten the young boy Jesus and left him behind? Of course, Mary was no doubt terror-stricken, filled with grief, especially because of who her son was. Hearing the prophecy of Simeon before, you remember that, she th I'm sure she thought back to Simeon's prophecy 12 years ago. This boy is set for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel. And then thinking about all those two-year-olds that were killed because of her son. And Joseph and Mary did the only thing that they could do. They turned back. 
Their hearts were full of sorrow and fear as they retraced their steps. No doubt, think about this prayer. Father, help us to find your son. Help us to find your son. Help us to find that holy child, Jesus. Help us find the one that will save us from our sins. I thought of the Song of Solomon. Turn back there, chapter 3. I thought of the bride. In Song of Solomon, chapter 3, these are the cries of the church, the bride. I'm sure Mary's cries were sim- very similar. Verse 3, chapter 3 and verse 1. By night on my bed I sought him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. I will rise now and go about the city and the streets. You can imagine Mary running through the streets of Jerusalem saying, Have you seen my son? Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen him? They looked in the broadways. I will seek him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. The watchman that go about the city found me to whom I said, Saw ye him whom my soul loveth? It was a little that I passed from them, but I found him whom my soul loveth. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her that conceived me. Look also in chapter 5 and verse 6. Chapter 5 and verse 6. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved hath withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul failed when he spake. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchmen that went about the city found me, and they smote me, and they wounded me. And the keepers of the walls took away my veil from me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved son, that you tell him that I am sick of love. I am sick of love. I think of the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation. Do you remember what the Lord Jesus told them? He said, retrace your steps. He said, you've left your first love. They had forgotten The boy Jesus. You wonder how could this have happened. I think to myself. How often beloved are we going about our busy lives. And we thoughtlessly leave Christ behind. How often are we going about doing what we do. And we thoughtlessly leave Christ behind. We get busy busy with other things. And instead of remembering Christ. And looking to him and everything in our day. We forget Christ and we think nothing of him. We forget him. I got to tell you that young Jesus was not lost. He was not lost, beloved. He was right where they should have expected to find him in his father's house. After all, he was God's own son. So he went to his father's house. Listen, when you wander from Christ, beloved, when you get lost, because we're the ones that get lost, not him. When you wander from Christ, Do you know where to find him again? Do you know where to return from him? Can you retrace your steps? Can you find that place of repentance? Listen, Christ will never leave or forsake you, child of God. But when you realize that you have wandered from him a distance, 
Remember, he didn't leave you. You left him. He is right where you left him. He's right where you left him. Listen, you'll find him in the word. You'll find him there. Listen, we can wonder from Jesus even being in the word. But that's where you'll find him. You'll find him in the word. You'll find him on his throne of grace. You'll find him in your secret prayer closet. He's still there. He hasn't left. You'll find him interceding for you at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. And beloved, he's here in the gathering. He's here. He promises to be among his people in the midst of his church. And so, beloved, we're the ones that sometimes suppose him to be in the company. And we've wandered from him. Look at Luke 2.46. Go back there. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 46. Well, they found him after three days. Of course, we know that he disappeared in death for three days, didn't he? And on the third day he rose again. But here came the pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and at his answers. But beloved, there was a blindness in the eyes of these theologians of Israel. There was a blindness. The, they were too proud and they were too proud to humble themselves before God and consider that this 12-year-old boy was their promised Messiah. Here was a 12-year-old son of man giving these theologians a privileged peek into his person. He was presenting himself to them somewhat by stealth, but he sat before them and he listened to them and he asked them questions. They had all the advantages of prophecy pointing them to who this boy would be. Did they even think of Isaiah 9, 6? Did they think about that passage? I mean, look at it. Isaiah 9, 6. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. These were the experts in the Holy Scriptures. Notice in 9.6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Did they think about that? That perhaps this was the 12-year-old Messiah? And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful and Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. When they heard his questions, when they heard his wisdom, did they even think of investigating Joseph and Mary? Did they even think of inquiring to his parents and saying, how is this boy conceived? Micah says, or actually Isaiah 7 says, she will be a virgin. 
Were you a virgin when you conceived this child? Was he born in Bethlehem? Are you of the house and lineage of David? Did they even think about these things? Did Mary, or did they even think about the prophecy of Simeon? I often think of Simeon because the Bible says he took Jesus up in his hands and he held him up. He says, now I have seen thy salvation. How could the people around not pay attention to that and see it? And then, of course, there was Anna the prophetess. But even now, after Mary and Joseph found Jesus in, the, in, Jesus in the temple, it was time for Mary and Joseph to learn from their 12-year-old son. And to learn what, you might say? Well, that our natural families must be put aside when it comes to the business of God. Our natural families must be put aside. Of course, when she found him, and if you get back to Luke, this is when you think about how Mary spoke to him, and you might say, was that sinful, her speaking to him like that? No, I don't think it was. It says, when they saw him, they were amazed. So they see him, and I imagine, I've seen my wife do this enough times, grab one of the kids and saying, are you out of your mind? <clears throat> I could see her grabbing him. Jesus, thy father and I sought you sorrowing. And I could see him. I'm in my father's house. How is it that you sought me? I must be about my father's business. And so he was telling her, my heavenly father come, my spiritual family comes before my natural family. In fact, look at Mark 3.31, Mark chapter 3 and verse 31. I think of the answer of the adult Jesus when he was teaching the people the gospel and his mother and his brothers interrupted him and thought, well, you know, he's going to stop because we're here. It's like his mama's out there going, tell him his mama's out here. And his brothers, James and Joseis, yeah, tell him his brothers and his mama's here. I mean, look that in Mark 3.31. Then came his brethren and his mother standing without, because there was a press and a crowd, sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude sat about him, and they, somebody stopped him from teaching. You're stopping the word of God for, for his mama? Someone stopped and said, Behold, Jesus, thy mother and thy brethren seek for thee. He answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about him on them which sat about him and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, these are my family. For whosoever shall do the will of God the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. In fact, in Matthew 10.37, and so here, the boy Jesus is teaching them that God is more important than your earthly family. It's a lesson for us, beloved. Matthew 10, 37. 
He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What a wise and valuable lesson from a 12-year-old boy. From a 12-year-old boy. I love what Bishop Hall wrote. He said, and this is surreal. I mean, think I love Bishop Hall. He says, but are we not all sons of God of another kind? If you're in Christ, you're a son or you're a daughter of God. You're children of God. Are we not all sons of God of another kind? Indeed, we are infinitely less than the Lord Jesus Christ was to his father. Consider, child of God, that nature and the world think that we should attend to them. But we are not worthy to say we have a father in heaven if we cannot steal away from our family and earthly distractions and employ ourselves wholeheartedly in the services of our Father and our God. Can we not steal away? Can we not give God our whole hearts? But how often do we allow family to interfere with our worship? Jesus would not do it. When she called to him from without, he says, those that do the will of God are my family. And so... Beloved, it would be more than 18 years after that before Jesus would present himself to Israel as their Messiah and King. But he gave them, I like to say, a sneak peek when he was 12. They didn't get it. They had eyes that could see and ears, eyes that couldn't see rather, and ears, but they could not hear. And their king, at 12 years old, was standing before them. Back to Luke, we'll close. The book of Luke. This is one of my favorite passages in all of the Word of God, recording the young Christ when he was 12. So after this, here's... Another wonder and a thing of amazement is that it says they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. So Mary's like, Mary and Joseph, they're just like, listen, I'm sure they were so delighted that they found him and they've got him. And it says of Jesus, he didn't fight back. He just answered them matter of fact. But then it says in verse 50. 51 and 52 and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and here beloved children obey your parents in the Lord he kept it perfectly he went down and he was subject unto them but his mother kept all these sayings in her heart you think of Mary she had a whirlwind and it hadn't really come upon her as when she would stand at his cross. But she knew the prophecy of Simeon. And this son that came forth from her womb was God her Savior. You think of the responsibility that she felt to raise this child. You imagine Joseph and Mary having Bible devotions with this child. 
We're going to read the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus is listening, and he hears Isaiah 9, 6, and he says, oh, that's talking about me. I believe he learned the scriptures like that, beloved. And then when his presentation came, in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, when he said, the Spirit of God is upon me. He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and to heal the brokenhearted. And he preached that to them from Isaiah. And he said, this day is that prophecy fulfilled in your ears. And he gave the scroll back to the rabbi. And they all looked at him with amazement. He was saying, okay, here I am. The Son of God, Israel's promised Messiah. Beloved, he came into the world to save us from our sins. Wonder at him. See his beauty in his perfection, his perfect holiness and his righteousness, even as a 12-year-old boy. It's, it's a wonderful thing to see. Just in closing, look, for each of you and me here today, don't wander off and get caught up in Christmas festivities with all your company and leave Christ behind. Don't do it, beloved. Listen, your most important personal business on this Lord's Day, like any other Lord's Day, is not to your earthly family, but it's to your heavenly Father in devotion to Him as sons and daughters of God. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Sons and daughters of God. Literally, sons means children. What a blessing that we have to be partakers of this great salvation. Do you know that that baby was conceived for you, Christian? For you. Conceived for you. And he went to that cross, which George and Bryce will read in the next readings. And he suffered and died for your sins. Oh, beloved, we have so much to be thankful for. Don't ever leave this Christ behind. Don't wander from him. And when you do, and if you do, he's right where you left him. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Pray with me as we dismiss. Lord, thank you for your kindness and your grace. Oh God, thank you for this such a wonderful and beautiful example of the young boy Jesus who was 12 years old. Oh God, we wonder at him. It's such a small part that's written of him, but it's profound, Lord. Oh God, I pray that, Father, we would devote ourselves to you like he devoted himself to you. Oh God, may we be about our Father's business. And Father, as we know that we will never be even close to what your son Jesus was. But Father, we have Christ in us, and so please help us, Father. Oh God, help us to glorify you in everything that we do, Father. Help us to always have you before our eyes. Help us to always have your word before us. Help us to always be obedient to you, oh God. Oh Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for thy holy and blessed Son. Thank you, Father, for his life, his conception, his birth, his life, his death, his burial, and yes, Lord, his resurrection. Oh, God, help us, Father. Strengthen us, oh, God, in Christ this day. 
And may it be to your honor and your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.